very well welcome to this second UCL event concerning this very important Chilean constitutional convention. You will recall that a couple of months ago, the Chileans went to the polls and overwhelmingly agreed to create a constitutional convention to elect a new constitutional convention, which would, in principle, produce a new constitution. And now on 11th of April, there will be an election in which they will elect this constitutional convention. This is not just an important event for Chile. This is, I think, an important worldwide event because it's not often that a country goes through the process of producing a constitution in such a deliberate, legal, and at least on paper, orderly fashion, according to rules laid down by the pre-existing Congress. Um, that is not the way it is done in, I mean, it was, well, we can have discussions about the way it is done in other countries. So I would introduce my co-host, that is Carla Moscoso. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Carla is a, um, it has been working for several years in the field of human rights in Chile. She is part of a committee for the prevention of torture, which depends on the Chilean Institute of Human Rights, the Mecanismo Contra la Tortura, as it's called. And she's also a PhD candidate at Cambridge University. So I will hand over to Carla and she will introduce the first speaker or the first, this is going to be in the form of interviews or conversations with Veronica Unduraga. And then later I will talk with Daniel Cernilo. Let me start off only by, before they start, by thanking them very much for agreeing to take part in this event at very short notice. Carla. Thank you, David. So, well, uh, thank you, Daniel, for coming. Um, Daniel is professor of sociology at Universidad Adolfo Ibáñez in Chile. And he's a very well-known sociologist in Chile. Um, and I'd like to, to talk about this, uh, what does it mean a convention in, in terms of, in a normative way and in terms of what happened in Chile with the social outbreak. So considering the demands of the social outbreak claim against the abuse of power uh, contested, the administration carried out by the political elite, Daniel, why suppose that this constituent process, which is regulated according to a traditional electoral structure, and also the product of a pact between political parties can respond to demands that profound changes that were installed in the social outbreak. Well, thank you very much. Let me start by saying thank you to Carla and to David for the, for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be from afar, but close in spirit, I suppose. Um, I think there are two or three things that we, we, we should say. The first is that if people remember, this really feels like ages ago in October, 2019, there was 
all these riots on the streets and you know several weeks of demonstrations. And I think everyone at the time was beginning to feel that we were getting to a bit of a, the end of the road in terms of demonstrations and the proliferation of demands. And there was no clear channel, there was no clear way forward. So for some people, perhaps because I'm a sociologist, the idea that a constitutional convention, the drafting of a new constitution was gonna be the kind of the silver bullet to solve all the country's problems. Some people saw it with skepticism because the problems were very varied, well, from health to pensions to water, you know, access to water. So there were, there were several things going on at the same time. So I think there, there, there are perhaps two, two, two main issues that explain why the constitution or why a constitutional convention. The first perhaps is relatively straightforward. is the fact that the current constitution, despite all the changes, remains a symbol of Pinochet dictatorships. You know, there were several reforms, you know, famously President Lagos in whenever it was, 2005, you know, with huge fanfare, you know, announced that this was no longer the constitution of Pinochet. This was a, you know, completely new constitution. There was so little that remained in the text that came from the dictatorship that they really moved beyond Pinochet. But somehow, um, Veronica is here, the expert. I mean, people didn't really buy that. And effectively, the constitution that we have continued to be seen as the constitution of the dictatorship. So 40 years after, 30 years after the, the end of the dictatorship, we were still living under a constitution that was drafted by eight lawyers between 1973 and 1978 and was, you know, um, was enacted in 1980. So I think the symbolism of the constitution as a kind of the bedrock of the dictatorship cannot be, I mean, needs to, needs to be kept present. And secondly, I suppose, and this is this sort of ties to what David was saying at the beginning, is that suddenly there was this offer, as it were, this proposal from political parties that the constitution was gonna be drafted in a completely in an unprecedented way, at least for Chilean history. Again, Veronica will, will, will say more about this, which is the fact that we will have a specific body, a body that is going to be elected. And as far as we know, the elections are not gonna take place on the 11th of April because of COVID. So we may have them later in, you know, middle of, middle of May, but okay. That, that aside, the idea there's going to be this body of people that will go, they're going to be elected with the specific purpose and with the unique purpose of drafting a constitution, a, consti a convention that is going to be equal in membership for men and women, a, constitu a con constitutional convention that will offer representation to Aboriginal peoples. So all those things kind of contributed to the idea that we may be able to construe a new social path through the drafting of the constitution. The last thing I'm going to say very briefly is I remain somewhat skeptical and it makes me a bit nervous, a bit itchy that people are so enthusiastic about what's going to happen 
because if the expectations are high and the, the result is not so good or it's seen as illegitimate because of whatever or it lacks full legitimacy for whatever purpose, I, I, I'm a little bit fearful somehow. But I think it's those two things. One, the 1980s constitution remaining in people's minds and in the workings of the country, inspired by Pinochet on the other hand, the legitimacy that the idea of a constitutional convention was able to, was kind of able to capture people's imagination. We're gonna have a legitimate body that we're gonna draft the text that is gonna kind of guide the country for the foreseeable future. Um, Daniel, in, in, in that sense, there is a kind of tension between the demands of this social outbreak and the expectatives that people can have in terms well, of, you know? I think so. I, when the riots and when the protests and demonstrations were taking place in, the 19, in, the, in 2019, I think there were kind of two visions of how to best address the demands. One was always right from the beginning, and this has been an ongoing debate in the country for 15 years, that a new constitution was the, was the way forward. The other, other people would argue, well, we may be better off by addressing some specific demands that were felt, you know, hard, hardly felt by the people that didn't re necessarily require a new constitution, but we would kind of become a kind of turning point in the model of, the model of development in the country. Say you address the problem of pensions that there are in the country, or the public access to health. Mm -hmm. And I think there were two, two, two different interpretations of how to, how to best kind of convey or give institutional shape to the demands. As I say, because, perhaps because I'm a sociologist, I was more of the idea that there was going to be a quicker, perhaps more hands-on kind of way forward by addressing some short, some longer term demands that can be addressed in a kind of shorter period of time. Because I feared at the time, and of course, no, nobody could foresee the COVID. I feared at the time that on the one hand, that things will take very long to process institutionally and that the changes will take long to, to be felt and to be experienced in their everyday life for people that may kind of create a sense of disillusionment mm -hmm. that may back, backfire for institutional politics later on. But I'm not saying that this is right. I'm saying that this was, this was somehow my, my expectation. I wasn't against at all of changing the constitution, on the contrary, but I thought that perhaps we could have started with some more kind of sectoral sector reforms. I think pensions was very significant and then have kind of put the constitution as part of an ongoing transformation of various policy areas, rather than put everything on hold pretty much. And almost waiting until the constitution, the new constitution is drafted. Because I don't want to go too long, but also there's a question of, well, is the constitution 
a text where you ought to establish or you ought to set the foundations for every single social and legal right? Or is this going to be a kind of a more minimalist text where only basic commitments are going to be agreed on? And then policy reform will still have to wait another kind of electoral cycle for them to be implemented. So I think there is a question of temporality that it's, well, we don't know how it's gonna unfold, yeah. Okay, thank you, Daniel. Uh, later, Veronica will give us light about that, um, this like point. Um, as a sociologist, you will know that there is no transformation without conflict. Um, apparently, the dynamics of the Chilean democracy have not been helpful to resolve the tensions inherent in the relationship between the state and indigenous peoples here in mm. Chile. Uh, in your opinion, what are the challenges of the constituent process regarding the conformation of a plurinational state? Okay. This is a big, big issue here. And we'd like to know what you think about it. Well, yes, I, I think, okay, I think first of all, I think it makes sense to look at what's happened in Chile in the last two years as part of a kind of a wider global reconfiguration of democracy worldwide that we may want to trace back, say, to the Arab Spring in 2011, where on the one hand, some disconnection between elites and the people, some inability of democratic institutions to deliver on the promises of autonomy or emancipation or equality before the law. So I don't think what happened in Chile, this is what I'm trying to say, can only be explained or can only be looked at for, from within, as it were, for, to do with only processes that have happened in Chile. I think this is a much wider trend. And as part of that much wider trend, there is also the question of whether what we traditionally consider nation states are in fact multinational or plurinational states. And is the history of state formation all over the world, the fact that one nationality or one national group, so six of uh, hegemony over the identity of the state and other nationalities and other groups see their identities as secondary and they are oppressed and there are the dynamics of domination against them. So to that extent, and this is a process that in Latin America, in Bolivia, in Ecuador, has taken place much long, uh, no, much earlier than in Chile, and it's been much more successful in terms of achieving constitutional recognition for Aboriginal groups. But I suppose the big question that is at stake here is the question is whether for the 21st century and beyond, we need to continue talking about nation states as if, the unity of the nation or the unity of the state requires this kind of means of a single nation. So hopefully the constitutional convention, because not without problems, but was able to agree, parliament was able to agree that the constitutional convention is going to have sort of representation of Aboriginal groups. And not only the Mapuche, but several groups. Yeah, several national groups or ethnic groups we may be able to move forward towards what it's socio sociologically, historically, you know, a fairly straightforward fact. Countries are plurinational right from the beginning 
and the legal framework ought to, ought to be able to recognize that people do have different origins. I think there is a knock-on effect of that discussion in of that discussion in terms of how we're going to handle questions of migration for the future. So the question of redefining the unity of the state in terms of one single nation has, of course, on the one hand, implications for Aboriginal groups and their claims and their demands. But on the other hand, it also has to do with migration uh, and how are going to, re to redefine who belongs, who is a citizen of the state for the future in a concept where Chile has not been exempt from the waves of migration inter or from international migration that are taking place elsewhere too. So I think it's very important. I think it's gonna be at the center, was going to be surely one of the central themes of the, of the constitutional debate. And I think they're gonna be conservative groups. They're gonna be dead against any innovation at all. But depending on the political composition of the convention, I think there is a good chance that we're gonna move forward towards a more Again, as recognizing what it's historically and sociologically a pretty well-established fact. You know, states are multinational. Daniel, um, the last question. Later, we can, we can take all the questions uh, from the public together. But the last question, thinking that the social outbreak showed the deficiencies of the state in terms of protection of human rights, you know? <laughs> Uh, we had hundreds of protesters with eye injuries or mm. that just received humiliating treatment by the police. And you, you, you were, you know, one of the persons that criti criticized that. Um, in what way should the control and autonomy of the armed force and the police uh, mm. be considered in the new constitution, in your opinion? Well, I... To what extent it needs to be included in the constitution that's really above my pay grade? I'm really not a constitutional scholar. We know, we know. But, 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 let me, but let me say this. I think for people my generation, I was leaving school, so secondary school when the dictatorship ended. So I wasn't, you know, first hand, I didn't have first hand experience of police repression during the dictatorship. So we grew up, my generation, the mid-40s generation, we grew up with the idea that somehow carabineros, the police, and the military had learned their, their, the lesson that exercising excessive violence against the population is not on. You know, there were lots of ceremonies and symbols, and the, the never again was, a, was a, the, the kind of it, how it was captured. And I think I, I, I don't... I'm not embarrassed to admit it. I thought that some of those lessons had effectively been learned, that this never again kind of meant something. And I think, again, COVID has kind of changed the, the kind of time frame of everything. But in October, November, December, and Veronica May, because we teach at the same university, we teach at a fairly elite university. Our students are fairly well off. And these are young kids, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. They had never seen police violence in that fashion. And they were shocked in a way that people growing up in the dictatorship had not been shocked or wouldn't be shocked because they had experienced firsthand. But it also because for their social class, that kind of police violence 
it's not something that you kind of associate with Chile. So I think there was this kind of two things going on at the same time. I think on the one hand, there is this sense that it looks as though lessons had not been learned as well as we thought they had in terms of how police, how the police is able to handle, you know, protests that were similar to the protests we're seeing everywhere all the time. We're not talking about sort of, you know, these were not riots or protests that were about to burn down parliament or La Moneda, the government palace. You know, these were protests, there was violence, but there was, this is not, you know, an insurrection that was sort of bringing the state to its knees, I don't think. So the police was unable, sort of morally, legally, technically unable to handle the rights. They fell short in every single parameter. And on the other hand, I think there was, a, there is kind of a generational break insofar as the younger generation, so people 35 and under, 40 and under, they didn't experience the dictatorship firsthand. They don't have the fear, as it were, to police authority as people our generation may have, be, may have because we grew up in the dictatorship. And they thought this was unacceptable. So the, the legitimacy of the police is at rock bottom, I think. And is at rock bottom in most social classes and in most age groups in a way that I think is relatively unprecedented for the country. So I think the question of a, of a new police, I do think Carabineros have no future and we need to completely refund, re, refund, not in, in terms of asking for a refund, but you know, refund the police with a, you know, new, new uniforms, new name, new logos, new everything. But this is to do with the fact that police is a fundamental state institution. And if it carries little or no legitimacy, then we are in serious trouble. It's bad for everything, for everyone. But, but, and I finish with this. What we say to our children, I mean, children want to be policemen or policewomen when they're little. And this is to do with something. There is this idea that the police, you know, the police do good stuff, do important stuff. You know, are ought to be ought to be helpful, ought to be friendly ought to be able to you know help us in times of need or in terms of when there is a crime so when the police has so little legitimacy as it is as it is the case in Chile I think that is a that is a yeah a major problem for the country and I think some new institution it's it's something that many people are talking about as perhaps the the best way forward. But of course, this is a, this is a contentious issue. Thank you, Daniel. So, David? Thank you, Carla. Well, this is very excellent. I, before I introduce Veronica, I just want to add that people should know that even though there was this terrible violence, repressive violence perpetrated by the police, apparently with very little training in crowd control. Um, it took a whole year for the, um, for the head of the police finally to be, to resign or to be asked to resign. And that shows that the legacy of these security operations, so to speak, their autonomies, even despite the 30 years since the dictatorship, 
The other thing I wanted to say very just is that the when you talk about constitutions, the Brazilian constitution should serve as a contrast because that is a constitution which was made by the Congress itself. And it was a constitution made by the politicians for the politicians and Brazil is living with the consequences. Um, and it also was a constitution which Daniel alluded to this issue in 300 pages, tried to solve every single social problem. And <laughs> that doesn't work. Anyhow, um, I'm very glad to introduce Veronica Unduraga. She is, as I said earlier, or maybe didn't say, she is a professor at the Adolfo Ibanez University. She has LL, she has PhD from the University of Chile and LLM from Columbia University in New York. Now, my first question to you, Veronica, as a constitutional lawyer, is how is the, the this strange um, system of electing concerns this strange system, or at least to us, strange system of electing the convention, um, namely that there are candidates who are put forward by parties, and then there are candidates who are independent. Um, can you explain how these different lists, if they are lists, will work? Yes, sure. Before, before I begin, I, I want to thank you, uh, David and Carla, for inviting me. And I'm very pleased to, to be here. And thank you, all of you who are listening. Uh, yeah, well, yes. Um, uh, Political parties in Chile are, are, are largely discredited uh, uh, now and, and the level of trust of political parties, regardless of the ideology of the party is less than 5% and the government as well has a very, very low uh, approval rate. So, um, well, I, 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 I will, uh, I don't know if everyone who is here know, but we have this uh, uh, this um, popular or, or massive street demonstrations in October 2011, and we were to a point where the options were either to uh, to implement the uh, uh, state of siege, and I don't know, and with the military on the streets, and nobody knows where that would have led. Or we opened, uh, the, the other option was to open an institutional uh, channel to, to, to do something with those de demands. And, and I think that, uh, the, that the, the president and the Congress were up to their task when they uh, could reach, finally, it was very, very tense negotiations, they could reach to this covenant for the peace and the new constitution. So as Daniel said, this new constitution is the institutional channel we found to, to, to do something with, with those uh, popular uh, demands, you know. But since, and this was done by the political establishment, but the riots were political demands uh, against, um, it's a political movement against the political establishment, uh, the whole of the political establishment. So. Uh, so I think that it was very important to open uh, the possibility of uh, for independents to run uh, for, uh, as representatives of the convention, because if not, 
will be seen uh, as again as some as a, a convention a, a constitution made by politicians by politi uh, for politicians and uh, things are that that would not solve anything i tend to understand uh, Daniel's skepticism, and I'm also very worried about the process, but uh, I think that the, I, the, the possibility that a new um, faces appear in the um, and, and independent representative uh, play a role in the convention is very important. Uh, that doesn't mean that I don't believe uh, I, I, I deeply believe in, in, the, in the importance of political parties, uh, which is something that many people uh, lose uh, the side of it. I, I think political parties are um, key and irreplaceable uh, players in a democracy. But I think that this time, since they are so discredited, we needed new, um, um, people to, to give a hand to politicians and, and uh, for example, uh, social leaders and, and people who will make the, the, the public and the, and the citizens trust uh, uh, the process. And, and uh, so, so, it, so that's the reason we have, well, that's one of the, the sociological reasons we, we have the independence there, but, but it was very difficult. We, the independents had to lobby a lot in Congress to, to make rules uh, easier for them. There were, and there are still a lot of barriers for them to participate. One of the decisions in the covenant was that the, the, the electoral system to choose the, the members of the, of the convention uh, would be the same electoral system to, to, that is used to, to choose the um, deputies. And, and of course, independent uh, candidates can run for, for deputies. It's, it's, it's difficult uh, because we have an electoral system that priorizes and, uh, um, and um, um, uh, um, the, the, the elections of uh, people who go in a broad coalition and they form a list made of coalitions of different parties. So if you are an independent uh, and, and you are running alone and, in, and not in a, in a list, which is what happens sometimes for the election for the Chamber of Deputies, you have almost no chance to, to win. Here we have three ways in which, for the convention, three ways in which independents a good run as candidates. They can go alone, they can run alone, but then they will be, one person will be competing with the with all the other lists of, of political parties. And, and, and so it will be like a one person's list and, and the, the votes uh, and the, the votes that that person gets will compete with the some of the votes of the, of the lists of the parties. So it's absolutely impossible that, that an, a, a person that is independent, at least it's a rock star, you know, will get elected uh, if it's run alone. 
But there's a second possibility. And, and if you are an independent and you created a, 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 a independent movement, and there is a important independent movement that was created to participate in, the, in, the, in, in this convention, for example, Independientes No Neutrales, it's a very well organized movement of independence. They can go in their own list so they can sum up their, their votes too, you know. But what can what but then this is a list of people who think very similarly, and and they are competing with the list of the political parties who form who can form coalitions, and they are uh, di different political parties. So that they will be stronger in a sense because they will capture more votes. So even if you have a list of independents, you are, um, uh, it's probably you won't do uh, as good as the list of political parties. And finally, the third option is that if you are an independent person and a political party can invite you to join their list, and then you will be treated without the need to sign up for the party, you will be treated as a, a part of the list of that party. And, and then you will have more chances to get elected because you will sum up the, 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 the votes of the list and the votes of your party. Uh, and also you will have all the support of the, of, of the party. But then the, the bad thing about that is that nobody will believe that you are a real uh, independent person, you know. So, and, uh, and I'm finishing with this, but these are not the only barriers. Independents have less fi fi um, uh, finance, fi uh, public financing help, less time on TV, and, and uh, they cannot create coalitions of independent people. So there, there are several other, and they had, uh, there are several other barriers. So most people wanted in the uh, non-politicians to write the constitutions. And probably when we see the results of the, of the election, we'll see much more politicians that people think they will see. And that's, it's one of the concerns that I, I also have and Daniel probably has as well. There will be much more politicians and there will be an overrepresentations of the right parties who voted mostly against having a new, a new constitution. And I can explain why there will be a, a, a overrepresentation of the right wing parties um, but maybe you have another question. Well, the next, yes. I mean, that, well, that's, that, that's um, clearer than it was before. Thank you very much. We'll see if there are more questions later. It is quite complicated. But mm -hmm. the last conclusion is, there are two important conclusions. Now, how is the paridad de género, the gender parity going to be implemented? Well, that's that, that's fascinating, you know. Well, for me, that I work on gender issues, uh, Chile will be the uh, will have the first constitutional assembly or constitutional conventions that will be uh, uh, written by uh, about the same number of of, of men and women. Uh, as as soon as the covenant uh, for the peace and the new constitution was made public, uh, feminists we we realized that, and especially the a network of, of, of political of, of femi uh, political uh, women's uh, or feminist political scientists realized that 
uh, if we use the electoral system that is used by, uh, to elect the members of the Chamber of Deputies, we will have very little participation of, of women there. We'll have very few women in the, in the, in the conventions. Uh, so they, they um, lobbied a lot and they, and, and they, um, uh, and, 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 and they conquered the um, um, uh, politicians and women, con congresswomen from every party, and, and they had a, a very broad coalition of women politicians that um, really fight for getting the parity rules there. And the parity rules are designed in a, in a way, which is, this is very important, that, that play well, that, that can work with the proportional open list electoral system we have. So we don't. We not only have um, a requirement to have parity in the um, in the um, candidacy in the list. Uh, we we don't have that. So every list has to be headed by a woman, and then um, the rest of the list it, it's a, it should be designed on a zipper. Uh, way so it's a woman then a man a woman a man a woman a man and so there there should be in in uh, uh, the same number of, of men and women and, and headed by a, a, a woman and in odds and districts um, there can be only one extra woman and and, and not uh, only one person of a different sex indifference. Um, and then, but we don't only have we not only have that rule for the for the candidacy, but also we have parity in the results. So after we know the result of the uh, of the election, we we count the votes. First, you count the votes for each list, so you will know then how many representatives, uh, how many seats get each list. And then you have to come the vote for each uh, political party on the list in the cases that the lists are compounded by a coalition of political parties. And then you will know how many seats of, of those seats of that list that the, the party gets. And then you will have a kind of provisional um, a list of representatives, but it's a provisional list for each district, you know? So, uh, and then you will say, well, the, the people who get elected provisionally with, will, will be these seven people, for example, for this district. And if, if that list is gender balanced, that's okay, that will be the definite list. But if that list is not gender balanced, then what will happen is that you will the person who get the uh, who who um, who had the least votes of the sex that is overrepresented, for example, we have more men than women in 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 that list, provisional list. Then you choose the men who got the the least votes, and you uh, and you replace that person with the woman of that same party who got the uh, the most votes of, of, of that party. 
And if there's no a, a woman of that party, the woman of the list who, who got the, the more votes in, in, in that list. So then you have parity of results as well, but you respect the, the, the ideology of the voter and you respect uh, the ideology in the sense that you re respect the party for the, uh, and the list uh, that was voted by, by the citizen. I'm sorry, but it's not easy to explain. <laughs> no, but it, it's good. So the voter votes for a name. It doesn't just vote. Yes. They vote for a name. And then. Yes, it's an open, uh, yeah, it's a proportional system. It's an open list, and people vote for, an, for a name. But when you are voting for a name, really, you are voting for a name, for a party, and for a list. And, and the first, and, and, and first, your vote is counted as the as the vote of the list. Then it's counted as as the vote of the party, and then you see within the party who gets the most votes, and you you finally uh, vote for the person. You know, so the, the vote is is kind of counted. Is uh, of of course it, it's it's one vote, but it's uh, but the list is prioritized. Um, before the party and the party's priorities before the name, you know, and the parity works uh, at the level of the names. Yeah, so the list is usually a coalition of parties. Well, yes, uh, uh, th that's the normal thing. Now, in this uh, in this case, we have list many lists of uh, independents uh, too, because uh, of course uh, there was a lot of interest in participating in, in the drafting of the convention. But that is not that is a, not a normal state of affair. If when you choose the the when you choose the deputies most lists of almost all lists, all lists really are, are made up of political uh, coalitions of political parties. Uh -huh. So last question, how are the representatives of the indigenous peoples going to be, who is going to elect them mm -hmm. and who has the right to elect them and how are they going to be then, um, how are they going to win or how is it going to be decided uh -huh who will win that sort of sub-election, yes? Well, that's also a groundbreaking uh, in Chile. It's the first time we, we don't even have the uh, uh, recognitions in, in the, our current constitutions that, that we have, uh, uh, that, the, that, that in Chile uh, we have different uh, indigenous people in, in the territory. So, so the, 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 the uh, this is, is really groundbreaking for, for our uh, constitutional in, in our constitutional history. Um, well, um, there are two things. There are the normal um, uh, seats and there are the reserve seats for indigenous peoples, you know? And there are seven, uh, the, the, the total uh, number of seats are 155. And within those 155, 17 of those seats are reserved seats for indigenous peoples. Uh, seven for the Mapuche people, who, who are the, the, the it's a, the bigger um, indigenous uh, people in, in, in Chile. 
a two for the Aymara and and one for the rest of the of the uh, uh, of the indigenous groups we have in, in Chile. And uh, but an indigenous person can uh, decide to run uh, for those reserve seats or can decide to run in, 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 in the other list, uh, you know, in the, um, as the member of a political party in the, coalition of a, in, in the coalition of political parties or as an independent in a, in a list of independents. So we have uh, indigenous candidates that are running for the reserve seats and we have indigenous candidates that are running as any any other candidate in the non-reserve seats. You know that that's a fair thing. So the, uh, who can vote for them? Anyone can vote. For, uh, uh, indigenous and not indigenous people can vote for indigenous candidates that are running for the normal seats. But if you want to vote for an indigenous representative that is running for a reserve seat, you have to um, prove that you are um, part of the indigenous uh, people of that representative. For example, only if you are a Mapuche, you can vote for a Mapuche representative who is running for a reserve seat. It, only if you are an Aymara, if you are an Aymara, you cannot vote for a Mapuche, for example, you, you can vote uh, for someone of the reserve seats of the Aymara uh, representatives. But if you are a, um, an indigenous person, you can choose uh, if you want to, to vote for an indigenous representative or if you want to vote for anyone in, in the non for the non-reserve seats, you know? So uh, you have to prove to vote for a representative that runs for a reserve seat, you have to prove that you are an indigenous person and you prove that, you can prove that in three ways, either because you are registered in a registry that, that it's public, or uh, you can, you especially if you are a Mapuche, you have a, recognized Mapuche uh, uh, last name. There's a list of, of Mapuche last names. And, uh, and you had the opportunity that now is closed, but, but they had the uh, Mapuche, um, indigenous people had the opportunity for, for a space of time to uh, write an affidavit and saying that they are um, members of an indigenous group. So in any of the, those three ways, you can prove that you are indigenous and you can vote for them. So that's that's by auto-declaration. Yes, yes, yes. Well, when that, uh, yeah, the, the right-wing parties were, were against the auto-declaration and, and they wanted that everyone, uh, that the pe people who could vote uh, were the people who were in the registry, but then there were negotiations and they, they gave a short, a very short time really to make this auto-declaration. But, but in, if you want, you only get one vote. If, if, you, if yes. you're an indigenous, you can't vote in both. Come with, no, you can't. <laughs> you can't, you, yeah, you have to choose. You have to choose. And we have the parity, uh, uh, different parity rules Two oh. for, the, for the indigenous. It's it's interesting because um, the 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 list of representative for indigenous people it's a pair. It's a a, a man and a woman, you know. And so 
um, when, and, and when you know how many, for example, Mapuche people uh, were elected, you have to see if there is a gender balance in, in that provisional list of elected representatives. And if there is no uh, balance, the one who got the least votes have to, uh, 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 is, is replaced by, the, by his or her partner, you know? Uh, oh, wow. Yes. So we'll, yeah. <laughs> well, this is fascinating. I think, I think, um, I mean, there's one other question, but I think we should allow the, the participants now to um, put their questions. Thank you very much, Veronica. That was brilliant. It's really complicated and it's really important <laughs> that people. Yes, yeah, especially to explain it in another language. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's complicated to explain in Spanish and, and do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Language with them, yeah. But it's and and but we heard that maybe the election will be postponed anyhow because of the COVID. Well, that, that will be decided between today and tomorrow, I think. Uh -huh. Yes. Gosh, that's quite dramatic. Yeah. So, Carla, 